Hey everyone, welcome to the Threadcast. Ryan Smith here. Hope you are doing well. Hope your day is rocking and rolling. Whether you find yourself in the UK, in the United States, in Arkansas, or on the road, that your life is rocking, rolling, and I'm just being silly right now. I apologize. Um, yeah, there you go. Um, it's been quite a week for us. We've uh, we've had some crazy things happen at our house, but. Uh, Hoping they start moving in the right direction soon, um, but uh, you know it is what it is, right? Um, so today, to so jump into the threadcast, I want to. Um, last week we talked about the idea of rhythm, and uh, did a, a threadcast last week on rhythm, the importance of it. Excuse me, and then um, introduced the idea of the semicircle. Uh, brought up a, a point that I read and I wrestled with, um, whether to bring it to you guys, but the idea that, that you know, Sabbath, uh, rest, was a part of the Ten Commandments. And then kind of brought the idea to, <coughs> excuse me, got something stuck in the back of my throat. Um, does um, the idea of keeping the Sabbath, being a Ten Commandments, is the opposite of being a workaholic, you know, someone that doesn't rest, is that equivalent to um, someone being an adulterer, someone being a murderer, someone being a liar? You know, the other uh, 10, the 10 commandments here, does God see that um, as equivalent, you know? Um, And I suggested that's true, right? Um, And that seems so extreme, but I want to kind of address that a little bit more today and maybe talk about Excuse me. Sorry. (laughs) Why is the Sabbath so important? Okay. That's going to be the question I'm going to be getting at. Why is the Sabbath so important? Why could it even be considered, you know, if you don't keep the Sabbath, if you're someone who doesn't uh, rest, um, why, why is being a workaholic so bad other than the idea that, you know, you know, physically it makes me bad. I get, you know, that's how people die, stress, all that kind of stuff, right? Um, that's bad enough itself, but but theologically, um, why is why does God put keeping the Sabbath um, up there in the other you know the top ten, if you will, uh, in there? And so um, I want to kind of address that question, um, but I've got to kind of go through what they call systematic theology for myself, right? Systematic theology is a is a Bible term, is something you do in in Bible college, right? Seminary. But it's this idea you, you spend a whole year <clears throat> going through a class called systematic theology. But the idea behind systematic theology is everybody has different beliefs, these belief bubbles that are out there, right? This is what I believe on baptism. This is what I believe on, on who Jesus is. This is what I believe on communion. This is what I believe on church. This is what I believe on, you know, whatever it might be, the Holy Spirit, right? And so everybody has these different thought bubbles of this is, you know, they'll make this statement of this is what I believe about this, but what a lot of people don't do is the the reasoning, the thought behind how they got to why they believe that one thing, right? You know, they had to connect the dots to get there. Well, for a lot of people who haven't spent a lot of time thinking about it, um, their own systematic theology, will use different criteria to get to different thought bubbles about a certain subject. So this is what I believe about baptism. This is what I believe about communion. And a lot of times what they'll do to get to those beliefs is they will use um, contrasting or different thoughts that compete against each other. And uh, what a good 
theologian does is they want to say whatever your your thought bubbles are out there, you need to consistently get to those thought bu- bubbles by using the same beliefs, right? That you can't just use one belief over here and then throw that belief away so that you can get to a different thought belief that makes you comfortable. Right, and so uh, a lot of the systematic theology is how do I connect the dots on all these different beliefs out there so that that uh, I can be consistent, right, in in my my theology. And so to get to why the Sabbath is so important, I've got to connect a few dots for me as to why I see it so so vital, so important, kind of my systematic theology. So I'm going to do that, and as you can imagine, that could get really um, boring, real, um, real heady, real book nerdy, real quick. And so my goal today is to kind of let you see how I get there, um, but not to fill in all the, 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 the dots to get there. So I'm not going to quote all the passages. I'm not going to do all that stuff. But if in me getting to that point, trying to connect those dots, if I leave something out that you really push back from or you want to talk more about, um, let me know and uh, we can dive into that. And so... So here we go. Here's how I'm going to try to connect the dots on why Sabbath is so important. And first, I have to start at the very beginning, right? Um, that that humanity, uh, man and woman, um, even you know, in some passages it just talks about man. I, I think I do believe that's a passage about humanity, right? That humanity, you know, goes back to creation and the creation story that we see in Genesis one, and that it says that that. God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Okay? And so, that gets us into that whole conversation about Imago Dei, right? The image of God. Um, But it gives um, credence to humanity, separateness from the other creation, that we, uh, human beings, male, female, were created in the image of God. But then I have to step back another is is who is God, right? Um, and, and what I mean, I'm not going to try to define God him, himself, herself in that sense. But what does God reference? And I believe um, if you look at the Hebrew and you look at the Greek, and we can dive into some of that. But in this passage, in, in this Genesis, whether you look at the Hebrew that it was originally written in or you look at the Septuagint, a lot of times um, you can see, and there's some debate on this. So this is where I'm going to have to, you're going to have to, we can talk about this a little bit more, but um, when it references God, it is not singular. Okay, so it gets me to my theology on who is God, right? The, the, the Trinity, right? So there's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Now, as you look at Genesis and as you look at John 1 and some of the things, you're going to see that when in the creation story, that when there was nothing, and that something was created in that present moment, in that darkness, before there is creation, that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit are present. Like you can look at Genesis 1 where it's talking about the Spirit is hovering above the waters, right? In John 1 it talks about that the Word is with God, the Word is God, right? So so I think I believe that in the beginning, when everything was created, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are present. And their form of existence is not singular. Like it's there's and this is where it gets into a weird conversation, but for me, um, they are their own entities, but they are connected, they are circular, they are one. 
And so in this passage, when um, it references, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. He created them. Um, there's other references where you'll see um, that it talks about this idea that he's made in our image kind of stuff that goes on. And so we were made in the image of God who is plural, not singular. And so if God from the very beginning has always been plural and is plural and exists in that form, then when we are made in the image of that plural God, we were made in the image of plurality. That we were made, our, our very core nature is plural. That at our best, we are plural. And that can get into your singular mode, that can get into your tribe, right? And that gets into the world. But this idea that we were made to be in a plural state. Um, and so, so for me, we connect those dots. And then we start talking about the concept of sin. So what is sin? What makes something so bad that it's given the label of sin? I think sometimes we give some things a label of sin that maybe we're too quick to do that. But there is, I think there is language that is necessary to have this idea, this is this is wrong, and why is it so wrong, right? And um, what makes sin sin? Is it just because God came up with this arbitrary list of things? Of yeah, I want you to do these things. I don't want you to do these things. And if you do them, then I'm going to label them sin, right? Is is God is God that arbitrary that He's going to come up with a list of do's and don'ts um, that He just simply wants to be out there, and that when you disobey Him, right, um, that it's wrong. Or is there something deeper to the concept of sin? Is there something deeper to the idea that this is why sin is so bad? Um, and so a definition of sin that was given to me a, a long time ago that I still hold to um, is the idea that what makes sin so bad is that a definition that is used is that sin is the quest for autonomy. Okay. So the, any time that you seek to be autonomous, any time you seek to be an individual, um, then you are sinning. That, um, that you, can, you can look at all the, the, the top ten, right, the Ten Commandments, those other things, and they're going to reference this idea that the, the issue itself is that when you are trying to be autonomous, right, now, here's the idea. We, we have, when, I, when we talk about autonomy, I, I want you to hear that there is this idea that I am an individual. I am made in the very unique, I'm very unique that God knows the hairs on my head, right? And all that kind of stuff. That, that there is still something that I am singular, right? I am singular. I'm, a, I'm an entity. There's no one else like me, right? That, that snowflake kind of concept, right? So so it's not that I, I, I'm made as a robot or I'm made... Uh, I'm a duplicate of somebody else, right? There's still something unique to my my essence that I am unique. But in that uniqueness, in that singularness, I am also plural. And when we talk about the quest for autonomy, it's this idea that I don't need anybody else in my life. I don't need a voice. I don't need an authority. I don't need guidance. I don't need anything. That by myself, I am just fine. That that is my quest for autonomy. And so anytime you seek to be autonomous, you are breaking the very nature of what you are made to be and that you are made to be plural, 
okay? Um, and so this idea of, of, of sin, why is sin so bad, is that anytime you are seeking to be autonomous, anytime you are seeking to be your own power, your own authority, your own voice, right? You know, think about it. In, in the Garden of Eden, you know, when, um, when Satan, in the story, when Satan's trying to tempt Adam and Eve to eat the apple, he says, hey, if you eat this thing, you're going to become like God. And how are you going to become like God? It's in the knowledge, right? That you no longer need someone in your world to give you something. You know, that you become like God, that you no longer uh, are, are dependent or in plurality. You can be autonomous. You can be your own self, okay? So for me, we, we, we start with this idea that we're made in the image of God, that God is plural. So we're made in the image of plurality, that our very nature is plural. So anytime, so the concept of sin is that any, is that is that. You have the quest for anytime you are seeking to be autonomous, the quest for autonomy, you are sinning, okay? And this all gets me to the idea of why Sabbath is so important. It goes back to the passage that we've used uh, in talking about the semicircle, right? In John 15, right? And this passage has, mean, has become to mean a lot to me in this idea, right? And I'm going to read again, John 15, 1 through 8. And I want you to hear the language of when we're thinking about the uh, the the battle between being autonomous and being plural, right? Being something that is bound to a communal mindset. I want you to hear the language of what it means to be connected, okay? And so starting verse 15, um, verse 1, or chapter 15, verse 1 of John, Jesus is speaking. He says, I am the true vine. My father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me, that bears no fruit, right? So we're talking about the idea of bearing fruit is the idea of work. While every branch that does not bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. So the idea is that if you're not being fruitful, if you're not working, then that's going to be pruned so that you can become fruitful, right? You are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. And then in verse 4, remain in me as I also remain in you, abide in me, be connected to me, be plural with me, and I will be plural with you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. No branch can be autonomous. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. You can't be fruitful. You can't be productive. You can't be what you're meant to be unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Now we're going to come back to that here in a second. But he says, apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples, right? So in this passage, you have this language, this dichotomy, uh, this, this, this battle going on of someone that is, is plural and someone who's autonomous. That, that He says that if, apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, let's be, let's be literal here, right? That's not true, right? We know several people in our lives, in the world, who, have, who are productive and do things, and they have no connection to God or to Jesus, right? 
Um, they seems like, you know, there's people out there that they seem to do all the wrong things or have the wrong attitude, but yet they seem to have all the money. They seem, everything seems to go their way, right? So this isn't about things that I can get done uh, in, in human terms on this earth. But it says, but I, what I, this is truly a reference to this, this my, my essence, my being of what I was meant to be, that I'm not just, that I'm part of something that is cosmic, that is eternal, not just in the moment now, right? So this is a, a big picture kind of conversation that's going on. This isn't every single thing that happens in my life that if I, if I just um, claim the name of Christ and everything is always going to be good for me, right? That's not what this is about. This is, this is like, like who I am as a person, as a, a human being, joining the, the eternal story that is going on, that, that I will be productive in this fulfilling this eternal story that is happening around me when I remain in Christ. And that's really what is important. And so the idea of Sabbath is this idea that I'm going to stop my work. I'm going to stop doing something. I'm going to stop being productive, which the world holds to that when you're productive, you are at your best is what the world tells us, right? And how you are most productive, that's always being reworked. And, and you know, sometimes it's working 50, 60 hours a week. And now you have this thing that's happening here, in, you know, in the Western world that, you know, um, how can I... Um, you know, they're starting to see that I'm going to, I'm going to play more, but it's still do work, right? There's this conversation that goes on. How can I do work in less amount of time? So, so the world is starting to grasp this idea that it's not just about hours that I'm putting in, but even beyond that, the concept of Sabbath has always been that I stop what I'm doing that doesn't make sense so that I can be more productive later. And this passage even goes on and says that when you abide or when you stop, when you rest, it's, it's intentional in that you are resting in Jesus, in the Father, right? That you are resting in the Trinity, that you are resting in that plurality of who God is. That when you do that, you can be plural. So to me, this is why the concept of Sabbath is so vital, and it's held up there in such high regard, is that when I Sabbath correctly, right? Not when I just not go to work or not go to church, so that I can mow the yard or so that I can do something just to be productive in a different way, right? Um, but when I'm intentional in my rest and being with God and letting God be the one that revitalizes me. And we've talked about that. That can be done in so many different ways and we're not going there today. But when I truly rest in God is when I'm at my best. And when I decide that I don't need that rest, what am I doing? I'm giving into the temptation of the quest for autonomy, right? I don't need the rest. I can do it on my own. I can re-energize myself. I can do what I need to do. I can sleep when I'm down the road when I need to. I can do whatever it is. But when you say, I don't need Sabbath or I don't have time for Sabbath, what's your at your core? What at your core you are saying is I want to be autonomous. I don't need to be refreshed from God. Now, we don't say that out loud, but at its core, I think that's what's happening. I think that's why giving into the Sabbath is so important. It's why it's part of the top 10 list, right? The, the 10 commandments. Is giving into Sabbath is not just about resting. But it's saying my identity, my essence, my nature 
is that I'm connected to something, that I'm not autonomous, that I'm not singular, that I'm plural. And when I give up my own quest or my own mission or my own work and stop and let myself be pruned and let myself be fed and let myself be comforted by God the plural, God the divine, God the triune, right? Then I become my best. And that's when God can use me for this cosmic, eternal mission that we're on. So, I don't know if that made sense to you. I don't know, and you can push back, right? But if there's things that, there's some holes that that weren't filled in or some things you want to push back from, I would love to hear you. Because this is, honestly, this is something that is growing in me. It's something I've been thinking about. Some things, sometimes I do well at, and a lot of times I don't do well at. Um... I think where I struggle the most in this theology of this the Sabbath is, is that I like to Sabbath, I like to rest, but a lot of times it's not in an intentional way of letting God be the one that feeds me. It's my own personal rest. So that's my own struggle in this conversation. But um, I want to give that to you. That's a part of the rhythm. The idea of why rhythm is important, of rest and work, is so that we can proclaim through our rest that we were made for plurality in the essence that we are God's image. So there you have it. Uh, let me know what you think, and uh, we'll, uh, we'll see you out there either in the real world or on the interwebs. Have a great day. Grace and peace.